How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the first episode of The Technical Area. I'm Ben Cohen, one of your hosts, and today I'm joined by Josh Banks. What's up, man? Uh, not much. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. So The Technical Area is a podcast based around football or soccer, mainly European soccer, with a focus on the Premier League and the Champions League. The Technical Area is the official podcast of the official Hurry Up FC. You may have heard of us on Instagram, and that's the football sector of the Hurry Up, a uh, greater blog that, that we're both a part of. So what'd you make of the first two games? We're recording this right after the end of the City-Arsenal game. What'd you make of the first two games, Josh? Well, you and I were both looking at each other quite a bit during the Aston Villa-Sheffield United game, thinking, this is exactly what people who hate watching soccer think soccer is. Obviously, we had one um, minor incident, or major rather, in which a goal was actually scored. And, you know, my prediction would have been correct with Sheffield United 1, Aston Villa nil, And the goal decision system was just completely wrong. So, you know, not even a, a full 45 minutes back into Premier League action, and there's already scrutiny um, regarding VAR and GDS. So, yeah, ultimately, the Sheffield United-Aston Villa game was quite a snooze fest and it's clear to see how I think the fans really have an effect on both of these teams. Um, moving on to the City Arsenal game, for me, it was pretty clear from the get go who the superior team was. I mean, I think we talked about it in the lineups, right? Right, you know, for sure. Arsenal, in our opinion, I believe, did not exactly field the strongest team possible that they could have done. Um, and, you know, we, we're going to talk about this later, but the decision to play Aubameyang on the left. Um, I agree with it. I don't think you do. Um, you know, it, it's a controversial talking point um, to play him not in his natural striking role. So, you know, it, at the end of the day, they just faced a far superior City team. And it's kind of worrying if you're an Arsenal fan because this wasn't even City's best side and they completely bossed you. So it just shows the levels between the two clubs at the moment and it really shows how far Arsenal have to go if they're to get back to the top soon. For sure, for sure. And I think especially with that Aubameyang talk about striker versus left winger, it's it's interesting when you think about coming back to play, it's it's not always about fielding your best 11. Sometimes it's about fielding your most fit 11 because who knows who came back to training in what condition and and who's in the best shape and and who's not. So we're both in agreement playing Eddie and Ketia at striker is is not the wisest decision and as much as neither of us are the biggest fans of Lacazette, I mean we're talking about a proven uh a proven scorer, even if this year has not been his best season, he does have seven goals in the Premier League. He scored scored loads for Lyon before he signed for Arsenal, and and at the very least is a capable Premier League player. And to be honest, Inketia wasn't the best player for Leeds, a team that you know will likely be in the Premier League next year, but they're in the Championship, and he he didn't work out for them. And starting him against Man City is not, we'll say the the safest way of approaching it but ultimately maybe he was just in the best shape and, and Lacazette wasn't or or Nicola Pepe wasn't Ozil wasn't even in the 20-man squad uh so it could definitely come down to that yeah it, it could I mean for me I think going back to the Aubameyang thing um you know I think that playing him on the inside forward on the left that is 
um, is maybe his best position, you know. He he is kind of similar to a player that I admire a lot in Timo Werner in Germany, for example. Whereas they are dubbed as strikers by the media and by the common eye, I would say. But in reality, where they get the most goals is that back post run, beating their man um, to a cross, or rather just cutting in and kind of shooting from that area. And I think Aubameyang has shown that this season, that he's very good there. The issue is, is that for me, he doesn't have players of high quality to link up with. And um, like you said, Eddie uh, Nikitaya, I don't think he's up to Arsenal standard. He's still young. You know, he could prove me wrong. He's got time to do that. But at the end of the day, Aubameyang is really in a league of his own in this team. And it's it's worrying if you're an Arsenal fan again because... You know, there, there's talks that he's going to leave this summer. The, the contract um, renewal situation of, Bami, of Aubameyang is looking very bleak if you're an Arsenal fan. Um, yeah, just the decision to play him on the left wing, ultimately. I agree with Arteta. The thing is, though, what what was he really going to do against a Man City team that are just so dominant in possession the way they were? Exactly. With a, with Aubameyang, I agree. Like, if you, if you look at the, the statistics, he gets most of his goals down uh, that left inside forward position that, that you were talking about, but also when it comes to playing against a side that's, let's be real, far superior, which can't be the, the, the best thing to hear as an Arsenal fan, that a club is far superior to yours, but, but let's face it, it, it's true, that left inside forward becomes a left midfielder when you're out of possession, and clearly the best player on the team is is isolated, and especially when you're when you're talking about Aubameyang's goal comp- contribution for Arsenal this season. I believe he has the third highest percentage of his team's goals in the Premier League. The only players in front of him are Timo Pukki for for Norwich who I think has 11 of Norwich's 30 or 28 goals something like that and and Danny Ings who likewise has like 43% of his team's goals and Aubameyang is 42 and a half percent of Arsenal's goals in the Premier League which First of all, it's problematic to to be that reliant on a player where if he doesn't score, which of course he did he did today, it's not a good sign for for your team being able to win the game. Also, if we're talking about the two players who are ahead of Aubameyang in that percentage list with Pookie and, and, and Danny Ings, the fact that Arsenal are now compared to sides like Norwich and Southampton in how reliant they are on a single goal scorer is an indication that they're closer to the likes of Southampton, a side that's overachieving because of a striker, than a side that maybe under, maybe is underachieving because of a lack of a striker. If you look at Chelsea without Tammy Abraham this season, or United without Martial or Rashford this season, and Arsenal should not be looking to, to compare themselves to Southampton with, with teams like United and Chelsea ahead of them in the table, and, and likely... To, to extend their leads by points in the table and compete for the Champions League, which, frankly, Arsenal aren't. Yeah, I would agree. I'd also like to just quickly touch on Nikitaya before I go back to Aubameyang in a little bit. But I, I, I think I speak for you, Ben, in saying this, but I don't think Nikitaya, um is bad, per se. I think it, it's just that it's, it's not really his time. You know, when Arsenal are chasing a Champions League, you know, I think from a manager's perspective, I think most managers would prefer a more experienced player. I don't think Arsenal, obviously, have given um, 
um, Arteta this in this case. I mean, he, yes, you could play Lacazette, but he's been out of form, so who knows? And I mean, in terms of his loan spell at Leeds, I really think that Nikitaya was just unlucky because at the end of the day, Bielsa is someone who will favor experience, and he favored Patrick Bamford and Pablo Hernandez for almost the entire season, which makes sense because at the end of the day, Bielsa's lo- job is on the line this season. He needs to get promotion um, with this Leeds side that he's assembled, and do I think he'll do this? Yes, I do. I think Leeds is one of the better championship sides that I've seen in recent times, but at the end of the day, it's understandable, understandable why... Nikitai didn't really break in at Leeds and do that well. Um, and, and with Aubameyang, I mean, if you're Arsenal, can you really risk losing this guy? I think the fact that they are not offering him everything he wants is borderline insane. I mean, look at the players he's surrounded by, and to think that he has scored 17 Premier League goals this season... You know, playing with that team, second only behind Jamie Vardy with 19, it's it's just crazy that he's not being offered the money. I mean, obviously, he's probably not going to accept that money because he wants a way out. He wants a Barcelona, a big move like that. Maybe a Paris Saint-Germain now that um, Cavani um, is not going to be staying there. So who knows? But to not even offer the money... I mean, what, what do you think about that? I really just can't understand it. Well, it's difficult because I think, on the one hand, let's face it, Arsenal are screwed to that about me, and there's no other way to put it, with a, a club that is going to lose this player for free. So not just losing them, but losing them for free, and a club that had to pay installments on their $70 million signing uh, of Nicolas Pepe. They weren't able to pay it up front, which, of course, of course no club is... Uh, PSG are still paying Barcelona for Neymar, for, for example, but for for a deal where you're where you're that is showing that your club is struggling to pay money, to be losing your key asset is not just losing your key asset, but losing your key key asset in a position where it's going to be difficult to get yourself a replacement unless they are able to attract Cavani, who, as you said, is is in the same position of as Aubameyang leaving in free agency, uh, just as a as a free agent. Then, you know who are Arsenal gonna who are Arsenal gonna get and with what money? Are they just gonna be content with Lacazette and 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 Inketia? Maybe, but and will maybe he'll maybe uh, maybe he'll in, improve and maybe the Leeds move like you said was just unlucky and he will become that player that Arsenal hope hope he'll become and Lacazette will improve. But it this season has not been one where you would think Arsenal without Aubameyang will be just fine. It would be far from it. That being said, on the other side. As a United fan, I've looked at transfers that that my club has made with the with the attraction of money rather than footballing ability. If you look at you look at Alexis Sanchez, he wanted to go to Man City. He wanted to win trophies. And he went to United to because they offered him almost half a million pounds a week. Not because he wanted to play there. And I think regardless of what you think about Oligar Solskjaer, as manager, he has been able to change that wage structure. Bruno Fernandes is making less than 100 grand a week. So I would understand that from Arsenal's perspective to try to go down that rebuild route where it's, you're not just rebuilding the club in terms of getting the youth in, but also in terms of attracting players who want to play because they want to play for Arsenal, not because they want to live in a nicer house. Yeah, I mean, for Arsenal, 
I think Arsenal, in terms of Premier League clubs, and in terms of the famous big six clubs, per se, um, other than Spurs, I would say, are the club that are most heavily affected by the pandemic um, that is going on in the world right now. Because, I don't know if you know this, but Arsenal, in terms of match day revenue per season, they make the most out of any club in the world. They rely on their match day revenue. And to take that source of income away from them is very much shooting them in the foot. Um, and, to, you know, they already have an owner in Stan Kroenke who doesn't really invest that much anyway. They've had to rely on alternate shareholders to really pump in money into the club. And when I say pump, I say it in kind of air quotes because realistically, Arsenal have not had a good transfer window, a really, really top transfer window for a long while now. And, you know, you, you can have your 60 million signing of Aubameyang here, and, you know, you, you sign Lacazette there, but is anything really changing? Those signings were supposed to be the start of something very big, a potential Premier League winning project under Unai Emery, a fresh new manager after the Wenger era. And ultimately, it comes down to one key stumbling block again and again and again, and that is the board for Arsenal. They just simply don't want to invest what it takes. And it, it's kind of sad in a way um, to see a club like Arsenal. You know, I remember back in the day, Arsenal used to be challenging for everything. Back when we were little kids, they used to be challenging for everything. They had the Invincibles, they had some of the best players the Premier League has ever seen. And the regression that they have had since then and since the early 2000s, uh, I don't really know if we've seen anything like it in modern day football. Um, it's really looking bleak for Arsenal fans. And ultimately, losing your best player in Aubameyang, which looks inevitable at this point, it's, it's just kind of the nail in the coffin. Yeah, for sure. It, it is totally about that moving backwards rather than forwards. And if you look at the other clubs who maybe used to be better than they are now, you look at Chelsea and United, for example. I mean, two Champions League winning clubs, uh, Chelsea in 2012, United in 2008, clubs that were competing to be the best in the world literally every season, who, granted Chelsea never really fell off to the extent that, that United did, but regardless, uh, I mean, football fans will have their own opinions on how well a rebuild is going. But both Chelsea and United fans will look at their team, look at their manager, look at what's ha what's been happening, and think, okay, we're taking a step forward. And Arsenal, I don't think they can really say that. And even the steps that they've tried to take forward, as you as you touched on with signings like like Pepe, haven't haven't worked out. And again, they have time to change. Tierney has played how many games? Probably less than ten for Arsenal this season, and and they spent I think fifteen or twenty five million on him. So that's not an insignificant amount of money, especially for an owner, like you said, who, who isn't the most invested, at least financially. Whereas with Chelsea United, there's, there's, there's steps forward, there's progression, even if there are games where you see, you see the Chelsea or United of, of old, of whether it's the ninth place Chelsea the year that, that, that Mourinho got, got sacked, or whether it's United at times under Mourinho, at times under, under Solskjaer as well, but even then you see those games where they're progressing forward, like the last game United played before the break, beating City 2-0, Chelsea beating Spurs, and, and that Wolves game away 5-2. Uh, Not to mention um, 
Chelsea played before the break and beat Everton 4-0. In exactly, their exactly. There are steps forward being made by these these clubs that are, are known to see. And even if, uh, I'm sure, as, as a, you as Chelsea fan and me a United fan, we're going to talk plenty about, about where both of those clubs are going. And we're not necessarily in perfect agreement, but they're trying. And, and there are steps forward, even if there are also steps back. And if Arsenal takes steps forward, it seems like they're always taking more steps backward. Yeah. I mean, I always talk about a lot when it comes, whether it comes to football, life, anything. When you start something and you start a project, most of the times you have to take one step backward to go two steps forward. And like we've kind of touched upon, it feels like Arsenal are kind of doing the opposite. They take one step forward in the signing of Aubameyang, then they take two steps backwards by not reinforcing it with anything. And at the end of the day, it just feels like a big kind of PR stunt to appease their fans, you know. Signing big-name players uh, like your Aubameyang, um, like even, even Bird Leno at the time, um, you know, he was, he was a very good goalkeeper in Germany, and they brought him over. So, I mean, it, it's, it's just really baffling to see a, a club with a huge stadium like they have just to operate the way they do. And I mean, yeah, like like you said, you being the United fan, me being the Chelsea fan, I mean, we can clearly see a clear progression. I mean, I right now as a Chelsea fan, for me, I mean, I have not seen a better sign of intent from Chelsea in years. It is clear the project we are building. And you know, it can be backed up. That's the thing. We've signed Hakim Ziyech, one of the best creators in world football. We've signed Timo Werner, amazing player out of the Bundesliga. Almost, you know, it's just crazy to think about it. And then you have Arsenal. And whose big name signing was David Luiz yeah, for $8 million out of Chelsea. And even if that's not a lot of money, it... Again, not insignificant for a club that, that is not the most financially backed. And David Luiz, the root of their losses today. I mean, you could argue that as much as City were the better team, Leno as, was, was making big saves, but ultimately they lost because David Luiz first conceded a really stupid opportunity to Raheem Sterling, who made no mistake, credit to him, and then penalty and red card, and boom, the game's out of your control because of quite literally one player. Right. I feel like it's as if they signed David Luiz, you know. I mean, when he left Chelsea, I remember amongst the Chelsea fan base, it was quite a mixed reaction. There were some people saying, oh, we don't need him. You know, Frank Frank clearly said that um, he is surplus to requirements, that sort of thing. And there were others that were kind of nervous. And at the end of the day, I mean, you Arsenal needed a statement center half. They needed someone like a Koulibaly, for example. They really need that caliber of center half to link the team together. And if your answer to that is eight million pound Chelsea reject David Luiz, I think there's it just says it all. It, it really just says it all. Um, to go back to that United Chelsea Arsenal comparison, you're looking yeah. at the three three clubs, three at, all at center back. There are three types of op- of of options you can go down. Maybe four if if the option is just to not do anything. There's the path that United went down, which is to spend big money on a center-back, or on a player, that in this position it's a center-back, in Harry Maguire, who there were question marks about whether he was worth the price tag, but at the end of the day, United have had a better defense this year, and I think their last like nine games they've conceded two goals, something crazy like that. 
there's Chelsea, who promoted a youth kid on back on loan um, from, I believe he was at Derby, was he, Tamori? Tamori was on loan at Derby, yes. Exactly. And then there's Arsenal, who signed David Luiz, a player toward the end of his career, for $8 million. And two clubs show us are showing a sign of, a, of progression, whether that's spending a lot of money or trusting in your youth academy. And so far, both of those seem to pay off, have seemed to pay off to varying degrees. And then Arsenal, whose answer to their problem bit them in the foot for not the first time. Yeah. Um, I mean, going back to, like, I mean, the, the center-half comparison, I mean, like, even even if you don't think, like, for example, even if you don't think Tamori is up to Chelsea's standard, I mean, he, still a young player, you know, still has time. It's, it's clear as day that Harry Maguire has at least come in and he's done well for United. Although he has his clear flaws right. in, in, in the fact that he's very susceptible 1v1, I think he's been done on the half turn like from the games that I've watched this season of United quite a few times. The point is, aerially, he is a good player. And he clears balls, he leads the defense well. He's made himself the captain in just a few months. Right, right. I think that it's been a good signing, and you know, people will you know, say 80 million. Was he worth 80 million? Personally, I don't think he's worth 80 million, but you also have to remember that this is this is modern day football. Since Neymar broke the market a few years ago, <laughs> you'll have a club like Leicester who will charge that amount of money um, for a player of Harry Maguire's caliber, and it, really, it's gonna see clubs like Arsenal who don't want to invest the money really fall behind right. because it's one thing if you you know were in Chelsea's position last season, we had a transfer ban. You know, everything, everybody was saying things were going to go against us, yada, yada, yada. I, I, and many of us in the Chelsea fan base, trusted in our youth academy because the fact is, the youth academy that we have is an elite asset. It has been an elite asset in terms of money making through the loan army. We, we make millions and millions of pounds off of loaning players and selling them on. And we also have an abundance of talent. I mean, you, you have players like Callum Hudson-Odoi, Reese James, I'm... You, you know, could go on and you on. You could go on. You could have Fakaya Tamori, Tammy Abraham. All of these players are very, very good. And at the end of the day, even if they aren't up to snuff, and even if they can't start for Chelsea, there is no doubt in my mind that they will still complete, compete in a squad of a title-winning team that Chelsea, I think, will be in the next three years at some point. With Arsenal... They don't even have an academy to turn to. Well, they've got, I mean... They've got some academy They've got Saka and Martinelli, who, you know, will, there's debates. And I, I personally am a huge fan of Saka, and I like Martinelli. I know you're not so high on Martinelli, but that also, like like you said, with, with, with Nketiah as well, who can be included on that list, it depends on, on how they roll. But when it comes to youth development, you have to have competition for them. You can't be a seventeen-year-old who has an out-and-out position in their squad and feel like the world is, you know, the world is their yeah. oyster without, without, without guidance because there's no one to compete with them. Right, right, and I feel like it's important to acknowledge as well. Like, I, I see a lot of Arsenal fans making, you know, Martinelli, Greenwood, Hudson Odoi comparisons on on an app like Twitter, for example. <laughs> it's different because Arsenal bought Martinelli. He he wasn't developed from a young age from the U sixes, U eights, whatever all the way up to the first team. They bought him. You know, I can't remember the last player, like, in the la- in a decade that Arsenal have produced that has been amazing. You know, the last player that I can think of that has been world-class that Arsenal have produced is Ashley Cole. 
and ultimately he went to Chelsea. So I mean, it's it, it's 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 really an an important thing in my opinion to have if you're going to build a team. It's important to have good youth academy. I know you and I go back and forth about it. Um, obviously, I think it's clear as day to see that Chelsea have uh, by far the best uh, youth academy in England. Whether it's the best youth academy in the world, I think it's up for debate. I mean, I personally think it is, but I can entertain other arguments. Um, United, although they've been poor recently in their youth academy, they've still developed talents. Mason Greenwood is an exceptional talent. Marcus Rashford, no matter how much I dislike him at the end of the day, he's still banging in the goals. You have to hold your hands up at some point. And Oh, come on. You can't dislike Marcus Rashford well, anymore. Well, as a player. As a player. As, as a person and a player, no. It's just... It's just he's a United player and you're a Chelsea fan. Exactly. It's yeah. sort of like that. Sort of like that. Anyway, anyway, not the point. The point is you have like another player like James Garner coming through. You, no matter if your teams are doing eh or not so well. They come through, exactly. You're producing players. Exactly. The and same you're producing season. players that, in my opinion, are good enough to start for Man United. And you're producing a player in Mason Greenwood, in my opinion, that probably future England striker. Right, so, exactly. Know. And it, the perfect example of that is... The U23 team was of United was relegated to the second Premier League division, which, like, that's embarrassing for United. That same season, they promoted Scott McTominay. Whether he's good enough to start, I don't think he is, but he's certainly a squad player at United. He's been a good squad player. He scored our last goal in the Premier League, brought the house down uh, to finish off Man City. As much as I would rather our youth teams weren't relegated, I would much rather have our youth team relegated, but we promote a player than just, you know, be an average team that, right. that doesn't that doesn't promote players. Right. Because um, at the end of the day, I mean, in terms of, like, other clubs in England, I mean, the top four, in my opinion, in the next five years at least, is really going to be dominated by Liverpool, City, um, Chelsea, and United. And I think clubs like Leicester will fall off because at the end of the day, Leicester are having an amazing season. Don't get me wrong, but... They'll have to sell on some of their Exactly. Players. When... A club like Leicester is not big enough to keep the players that they have. I think that Ro- Brendan Rodgers has done an exceptional job. And maybe maybe Brendan Rodgers goes to a club like Arsenal to bring them back to right. where they are in the future. I, this is this is not to discredit Arteta at all. I don't think Arteta's been given the players he needs to play his football. I think you know Arteta has um, some football footballing ideas that are attacking, similar to Pep. But at the end of the day... <laughs> It, it's it's really not looking good for them, and you know maybe they turn it around in the next five years. But I have some serious doubts. Right. So I think I want to quickly go back to the to the Villa versus Sheffield United game. But before then, just to just to touch on City dominant performance, and you know yeah, you yeah. have to give them yeah, credit. We, we, have, we have talked, uh, me especially. I've talked a lot about Arsenal and <laughs> feel feel a bit guilty of that, but. City, yeah, City are just a well-oiled machine, you know. This City is the example of what you get when you have a good youth academy, which they have. I think they, um, Phil Foden is coming through. I, Sancho I, was from there as Sancho well. Sancho is from there as well. I think that, you know, um, City have always had, at least in the last 10 years, a good youth academy. Pep is slowly but surely starting to in- integrate those players. Um, but ultimately... It just shows what happens when you have owners that care. Right. And City's owners, they, if Pep needs something, 
He's you know, got it. He, he's got it. It, it. I don't know if you watched the Man City documentary that they put out a while ago, but I mean, I remember watching it and thinking, wow, this is how an elite footballing institution should right. be run. Pep Guardiola, I need a center back to nail on this Premier League. They go out and spend, what, 60, 65 million on Amaric Laporte, and now and he's the be- second best center half in the league. Exactly. So and- it, it's. It's just testament to who they are and who they've been for the past two years, which is a dominant footballing force. Whether that gets stripped away um, with potentially no Champions League football, who knows? Right. What's yet to come. But I think that no matter what, as long as Pep Guardiola is still there and as long as the city board keep the intentions that they have right now, I see no reason why... This season, at least, they can't go on to win something like the Champions League. Exactly. I mean, for a club to be second in the Premier League on track for what statistically would be competing for the league in any other season that Liverpool aren't, aren't dominating, for that to be an off-season for, for City, uh, the fact that they haven't won the Champions League yet is like a travesty. Shows how high the expectations for that club is, and that's the expectations that, that to, to come full circle, a, a team like Arsenal should be, should right. be at for their right. club. Anyway, I think uh, we've we've exhausted the City Arsenal game, I, agree, City and Arsenal. But to quickly touch on the the first game of the day before we move on to some predictions and expectations for the the games over the next few days, Sheffield United and Villa gotta be disappointing for for both teams. I, I don't know about you. I, yeah, we were talking about it at the end of the game. The last 10, 15 minutes, how were neither of these teams going for it? Villa Villa's schedule is so difficult. They needed more than a point in this game to not go down. Sheffield United, as much as they should have been, been 1-0 up at, at halftime, to be... They're a team that could make the Champions League. They could... They, I mean, they're probably unlikely to do it now. They could make the Europa League. That would be monumental for a club like Sheffield United, even though we could get into into debates about how, for a squad so thin, making the Europa League might actually not be good for them because it could ruin their league form. But at the end of the day, if you're if you're a club... Like Sheffield United, promotion last year, this year, to be competing for Champions League places and then almost give up on it, it, it seemed, in the, in the last few minutes today. The thing is, I'll touch on Villa first. I don't really understand, or I, at least I don't think the Villa players players have really kind of clocked the fact that it's really now or never. Like, when when are they going to turn things around? I mean, Aston Villa, you're at home today. And granted, you don't have a packed Villa Park, you don't, you know, which I think they rely on quite a bit. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got John McGinn back, one of your top two players. Whether, whether he's better than Grealish, who knows. I personally think he is. But regardless of that, you've got John McGinn back fit. You've got, you know, Grealish. You've got... A, a decent side, a decent side, and a side that on paper, if you completely discredit the system that Chris Wilder has built at Sheffield United, you could say that they are very even sides on paper, and I think right. it was kind of showed in the game today. To not go for the game when you're at home in the last 15 minutes, I mean, they had half chances here and there, but... This game was calling out for a worldie of a strike, someone to take the game by the scruff of the neck, and, and I just didn't really see it. And if you're a Villa fan, 
that has got to be very worrying. Right. Because this is looking like a team now that is, is just kind of accepting relegation, and they kind of know they're down. And that's not the case if they really if they really push and they put their head to it. They're, they are not Huddersfield of last season, where they were down in December. This team, if they push, they can get out of it. The reason this team are down is not because they're down by point. It's because they're down by schedule. And right. that's not the thing. It's us playing numbers and saying, okay, there's no way they're getting points against Chelsea and United and City. But that doesn't have to be the case. Right. Down by points is, I mean, I'd much rather be in Villa's shoes than Norwich's. Right, right. I think that they really, to not even try to win this game today, and that's what it seemed like to me, it's very worrying if you're an Aston Villa fan. And, I mean, it's not like they haven't got a decent side either. I think they've got some decent players. I mean, um, it's it's just... It, it just wasn't good enough from Villa today for me. Right. Um, and, you know, from a Sheffield United perspective, I mean, you're chasing Europe here. I mean, granted, you're still in the Europa League spots. I don't think anyone from Sheffield United is... Like, a fan, from a fan's perspective, I would be over the moon to get Europa League. Oh, you've, you've got to have your head in the clouds. Yeah. It's like... Champions, Champions League, though, if it's there, you know what I mean? Exactly. How can you... I, I just don't understand how you, as a player, can be in that position where you are a Champions League hopeful... And you had no business being there. Not that they don't deserve to be there because their system totally works and, and they, they have every reason to be by by who they are and and how they've played this season. But considering their league expectations, this couldn't have been where they expected to be. And to be where you are, you've you've got to be over the moon with where you are. But to be content with that, it just doesn't seem like the the kind of person an athlete is. It was like there was no competition there was no aggression there was no competitiveness right uh that was that were shown from the Sheffield United players it was it was a content draw and it was it it and, I mean from from a fan's perspective selfishly it made it really boring yeah I mean obviously if I'm Sheffield United I'm pretty pissed off because technically you're robbed of a win there right but realistically like that was a fluke goal in 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 and of itself like was that a goal that you can say that they deserved to get no i don't think so i think the game was very evenly matched in the fact that both teams were defensively pretty solid and attacking wise it looked like teams that were either not fit or it looked kind of more so like a preseason style game which I mean, we got, we saw with City Arsenal that it, it was back to the way things were that we would expect. With this game, I was thinking, you know, Sheffield and I are going into this game. You are on 43 points. You have the chance to overtake Man United and go to fifth place, two points off the top four. And in fifth place, you pretty much get Champions League as of right now. We obviously don't know what the court ruling will be for Man City, but as of right now, fifth place, you're playing against Barcelona. You're playing against Real Madrid. What if the season ended tomorrow? What if if five Arsenal players tested positive tomorrow for coronavirus and the season was cancelled? And Sheffield United, if they had put in a bit more graft, a bit more uh, creativity into their 
into their play in the final third in the last 10 minutes could have been in that position and now right. aren't. Yeah, I think Sheffield United easily could have nicked this game because at the end, I think we were talking about it, but Villa Villa seemed content to sit in their own half. Sheffield United for the last 10 minutes, as far as I remember, were dominating possession. Um, it, it, it just... It, it, it wasn't an excellent performance from either team. It was just a bang on 6 out of 10, I'd say. Another thing that you know, has hampered Villa, and I feel like it's important that we acknowledge is the fact that earlier this season when Villa played Burnley, they lost Wesley, who, in my opinion, was a very, not very good striker for them, but he, a got, capable, he got the job done. Yeah, a capable striker to get you out of situations as a relegation done. battle. He was, he was scoring the goals that needed to be scored, and losing him is was was and still is a big loss. I think is a good player. I think he's done okay. But I don't think he's done what Wesley did. And I don't think he brings what Wesley did. I think Wesley was more of a physical force. He got himself about the pitch. But, like I said, if you're a Villa fan, you're probably shitting your pants right now, to be perfectly honest. And if you're a Sheffield United fan, obviously you're over the moon. But you think, could we have just nicked it? You never know. You never know. Yeah, no, for sure. I think at this point we want to move on and, and predict a few a few of the games of the next week. So now we're done with twenty with match week twenty nine. Is it? Yes. And and match week thirty we're on, and so we picked five games that we we are excited about. And first we picked Tottenham Man United. That's it's got to be the marquee game, even with City Arsenal being the marquee game of of being back. Um, United and Tottenham. You think? You think Tottenham are gonna edge it? Well, I mean, we were having this conversation earlier, but oof, I don't know. Ndombele, he he looks very lean. He he looks like he's really applied himself heavily to his fitness um, over the quarantine period. I think maybe he finally becomes the player that Spurs fans want him to be, and certainly the player that he was at Lyon last season, which, in my opinion, was a very very good midfielder and had the potential to go on and be something amazing. Um, it's it's a hard game to predict because well United are superior in many assets of the game the big stumbling block for me is Jose Mourinho he as most people think he's a finished manager personally I think he has passed it as well I think he's had his day however he still has the ability to pull out a performance here and there. And after a three-month break, I'm preparing for Man United. I'm preparing for the club that sacked me, that openly disrespected me. You know, I was slandered by the media at this club. It was The last six months were certainly not a pleasant time. I want revenge. And revenge in life and in football can motivate you to levels that you didn't know were possible. And I think with the addition of Harry Kane, and, you know, they've got players like Son, Lucas, they're at uh, home, a comfortable area. Obviously, there's not fans, but it's still your home pitch. You're still used to playing there. I think for me, and I know you're going to disagree with this, I think for me, Spurs just edge it 2-1. So that makes sense. I mean, Spurs are at home, and even if the home ad- 
home field advantage means less. It like plays a role. It's it's your pitch. It's you've got your logos everywhere. Uh, you've got your fans on the zoom screen next to next to the goal. To me, there are, there are two reasonings behind United having an advantage. One is that as much as Jose is capable of that one match surprise you, and that's like sort of what he's known for, and it's hard to have say that Ole is known for something as United manager, but there are two games so far where he has had a long break before that game, and he's come back and come up with tactics, tactics, whether it was tactics or just a result, that impressed. The first was that mandated two-week break last season, and we came back against Spurs, and we beat them 1-0, actually, away, beat Spurs away, uh, on a passing move that was created in Dubai when they went to warm-weather training, from Pogba over the top to Rashford uh, to finish, and then it ended 1-0. And the second one sorry to bring it up, was after the summer break, the first game back was against Chelsea and United. As much as it would have been different if Tammy Abraham hadn't at the post in the ninth minute or whatever it was, you know, United won 4-0, and we're talking about results after a long break. And if Jose has had three months to plan, so is Ole. And, and building off of that, in terms of surprising the other team, which I think we can agree is, is going to be an important tactical ad- advantage to have, is... Both because I think Ole has a deeper squad than Jose, and also because Dele Alli and, and, and Tanganga are injured for Spurs, has less options than Ole does. So Spurs, they're, they might play three at the, they'll probably play three at the back because Jose likes two in the big games. They might play four at the back, but ultimately you know mostly who's playing. You're going to have Lloris in goal. You're going to have uh, Aldevareld, Vertonghen, and Davinson Sanchez, two of the three, or maybe three of the three if they play three at the back. You'll probably have Aurier on the right. You'll have... Uh, some of Dyer, uh, Winks, Lacelso. You can do different things with them, but not to the same extent that you can in midfield with Bruno Fernandez, Paul Pogba, Scott McTominay, Fred, and Matic. With your with United, you can play three at the back. You can play Shaw in the middle of the three with Williams as the left wing back. You can play Shaw or Williams as the left wing back and play Bailly, for example, along with with Lindelof and Maguire. You can play. Two in midfield, whether whether it's two sitting with two defensive fielders, two of Fred McTominay and, and Matic with Pogba or Bruno ahead of them, you can play three in midfield, um, staggering them, you can play a diamond. And then the same thing with the strike force is that you've got Rashford and Martial who you'd like to be on the pitch. And then whether it's Daniel James for, for pace, which is often used in, in some of the big games, or, or Mason Greenwood, which who, we, who we touched on, of just being you know, a great, great finisher. And a player who's you know building building his his trade as you know just an eighteen year old is there so many things that United can do that I think Ole has a decent idea of what Jose will do, but the same can't be said for Jose. And also with that combination, I'm not even sure Paul Pug was going to start. There were rumors from from the Times and also the Athletic that that he won't, and I'd be disappointed because I know United fans everywhere, myself included, have been waiting for that Fernandez-Pogba link-up. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, but even if it doesn't happen, just all the options that you have and just, to me, just a better overall squad, along with the momentum United had before the break, if they can try to channel that, I mean, the energy they had with that, with that win at Old Trafford against City, for example, and then the likes of Igalo, for example, 
and even like players who aren't the 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 most known the most loved like Lingard and Pereira off the bench if those are your worst players on the bench you're in a decent position uh so that for to me I always had it as 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 two nothing two nil United also because of the clean sheet record before before the match we could go on and on about these tactics but we do want to want to finish predicting some more games and so um we want to go on to Watford Leicester which will of course be super interesting considering Leicester have that five point lead over Chelsea eight over United in third but we're starting to fall off a bit before before they were well, well saved by the bell with with coronavirus although they did lose Ricardo Pereira and get back Wilfred Ndidi so definitely a pro and a con and a con to that so how do you see this one working out it's interesting because obviously before the break, um, Watford played Liverpool, and we know how that game turned out. <laughs> it's also interesting because you have Leicester, and you have them without Ricardo Pereira, and I think, and we've t- we've touched on this before, um, Ricardo Pereira for me is very much important to the defensive side. I think he leads the Premier League in tackles. He does. He's very important for their defensive game on the right side. But he's also incredibly important in the attacking half. The amount of one-twos he creates, his link-up, and his pace provide an attacking tactical outlet that many teams in the Premier League can't cope with because they have slow players. So I think that this game has 1-1 written all over it. I think a goal from maybe Delafeu. And will Vardy continue his scoring form? I don't know. I personally think uh, James Madison will get the goal for Leicester. But at the end of the day, I think this game is kind of the start of Leicester's fall-off. You get Ndidi back, yes. But I think losing Ricardo Pereira is huge to what Leicester are, which is attack with the fullbacks. And I know we've talked about this, but who do they have that's really going to replace Pereira? You know, I think Delafeu can really target that whoever that right back is and get after them. Um, Troy Deeney, who we've talked about before as well, he could he he's not the most skillful player in the world. He's not the best finisher, but he can bully a player and win a penalty. So maybe he goes after that player as well, kind of like that. So who knows? I think it's going to be... Um, a relatively even match simply due to the fact that Watford are at home and for that I say 1-1 yeah no that's totally fair I mean I take a different approach to Leicester as much as Ricardo Pereira is maybe Leicester's best player I mean I think you could have that argument between him and Didi and and Jamie Vardy and even even throw James Madison into that conversation but to me Didi is just on a different planet in terms of first of all I think that he has been the best defensive infielder in the league this year maybe that's just me not wanting to admit that it's been Fabinho but to me what what points that out as a team that is I don't know I don't know if, if overachieving is the right way to put it because I don't I don't they have deserved where they are where they have deserved to be where they are but you wouldn't have expected that, and you don't think that they, 
at least I don't think that it's the kind of thing that they'll replicate again next season, for example, whether that's because they sell players or just or just can't continue the same form. But their record without Ndidi is, I think they have no wins in the Premier League in seven games or so. And, and that really is uh, worrying, but if they weren't to have Ndidi, but they do have him back. So I think for that reason, and also the fact that as much as Watford did beat Liverpool and are starting to, to be better, they're not one of the strongest teams in the league. And Leicester are at the point where if they get three points, which I think they will, so I'm predicting a 3-1 win, if they do get three points um, on Saturday, I believe it is, then they're at a at a point in their season where they're going to be eight points clear of Chelsea, with Chelsea having a game in hand. And with just, just a few games left in the season, you only need to amass a few more points to just to control that spot. And I think that it could provide them with, with enough enough momentum to continue that. Um, we also wanted to get into, we talked a lot about Arsenal and maybe aren't the most keen on them right now. So uh, they'll be playing Brighton this weekend in their second match, Brighton's first at Brighton. So thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, again... How are Arsenal going to defend? How are Arsenal going to score? <laughs> Brighton, I think, are really, really well managed by Graham Potter. It was very controversial yeah, yeah. when they sacked um, Hewton, I believe. Yeah, right? Chris Hewton. Uh, very controversial when they did that. But ultimately, I think everyone can kind of look at the decision that they made now and say, yeah, it was the right decision. Um, Potter plays an attractive style of football that kind of fits a cl- mid-table club like Brighton, in my opinion. Um, you know, it appeases the fans. And perhaps maybe, you know, Brighton can have that season next year or something like that where they push on for Europa League or something like that. In terms of this game, I think that Brighton are well-matched for Arsenal. I think that they have attacking threat. I think they've got pace with a player like Connolly, which could really hurt Arsenal's defense. Um, Alzate, too, on the other side. Correct. And, you know, ultimately, they, they just got a sound team. Lewis Dunk, good center half, right. gets the job done. Matt very Ryan, up front sometimes. Matt Ryan, um, very good goalkeeper, in my opinion. And, ultimately, they just have a good team. Arsenal, as we said, dire form just nothing is really looking well for them well it's tough because they started like they went into the break i think winning three or so in a row so we say dire form in that they had a pretty poor performance today and they also lost three center backs uh what's his name pablo mari through injury and then and then david louise and then they also lost and they also lost chaka not not a defender, but but still with that lack of options that we were talking about when we were talking about Tottenham and United, that lack of options could be huge when we're talking about finishing the season in, in a limited time and you have so many games in, in so many days, who's going to start at centre-back? Right. Yeah, and that, if I'm an Arsenal fan, really worries me because one of the un- most underrated players in the Premier League, in my opinion, is Neil Mope, the striker for Brighton. I think he's a really good player. He links to play well. Good finisher at that. Has pace to get him behind. And he hurt them when they played earlier on the season. So, yeah, I I foresee this ending 1-1, similar to the um, 
Leicester Watford game. However, I I think it's going to be different in the fact that Brighton through their midfield are really going to um, get get after Arsenal. I think they'll create a few more chances, and I think Arsenal at the end of the day will have to rely on a clinical finish from either Lacazette or Aubameyang. Yeah, um, I would agree with that 1-1 score. So let's move on. You're going to be happy to talk about this one. Um, I'm not, because I think it will result in a Chelsea win, and that's when they go to Villa Park, which again will be empty after it was today. Thoughts on that one? Chelsea, Aston Villa. Um, really, this game, um, I've been looking forward to it for a while. Uh, I Before lockdown... Um, was kind of um, hesitant about this game because I think ooh, Villa Park, hard place to go away. Right, right, right. Um, you know, maybe nick a two-one, but it's hard. The fans are now that the fans are gone. I am, I am going to be completely honest. I am very confident for this game. I think if Ruben Loftus Cheek comes back, which I think he will, he's been playing in the preseason fixtures. I mean, he's he scored a brace in our seven-one win against QPR the other day. Ruben. Really, I feel as if when he comes back is going to be the talisman that this team has lacked this season. And he's really going to just drive us through the midfield. And he's going to be that key player in the middle of the park to just get everything going for us. Not to mention we have N'Golo Kante back fit. We have Billy Gilmore, who was amazing beforehand. We have an attack force of Tammy, who's back fully fit. Um, I think hudson Adoy will play. Maybe Willian Pulisic. Who knows what Frank's going to do. The point is, at the end of the day, our squad is just far superior to Aston Villa's yeah. on paper. And I think Frank realizes this, and I think we're going to get after Aston Villa on Sunday. I, I think this will be a very comfortable Chelsea 3-0 win. Well, right. That's the whole thing with Chelsea, is that on top of the transfers that, that we alluded to earlier, and, and I'm sure that there will be more, or I'm not sure, because of COVID-19 transfer influences, but there will likely be more with all the, the links that they've had um, in addition to Ziyech and, and Werner, but the thing with Chelsea has been their their injuries, and if they're completely healthy, they're, they have some serious expectations that I think have been built for them by Lampard and, and, and by their fan base, um, and I guess from them it's just it's time to live up to it. I think... I'm with you, Chelsea will score three. I think Villa might might grab one just because Chelsea's defense hasn't been the best this season, whether that's been their goalkeeping issues, but whether it's Kepa or, or Willy Caballero, who neither of whom have been have been good at all, or depending on the center backs who play, or Jorginho being more of a deep line playmaker than a than a defensive midfielder, which which can lead to some gaps in mid in midfield that the likes of, of McGinn and, and Grealish can maybe take advantage of. But aside from that, I mean, I think Chelsea totally have, have the handle on this one. Especially that that Leicester game earlier in the season where Mason Mount took the ball off, off Ndidi and, and finished well. I forget whether there was a pass before or not. Well, um, I believe Schmeichel passed it out to Ndidi. Right, right, right. No, I mean a pass after Mason Mount won the ball back. No, he just won no, it and shot. No, he just won it and scored. Right. Yeah. So it's that kind of movement that that Chelsea do really well, that that pressing where pressing at the right time and pressing for the right amount of time, which of course is going to be crucial with the with the, the fitness levels not being perfect just because of, you know, not playing football for three months. Those, that, 
the pressing that Chelsea have been able to establish over the course of the season that earlier in the season, I don't know if you remember, we were having that conversation. If Chelsea don't score in the first 20 minutes, it's like they're not going to score. But And then they sort of got... They sort of got to that point where the system that Frank was that that Frank Lampard was trying to was trying to implement got perfected. But there, those first few games, it was like Chelsea had that spurt where they were amazing for twenty minutes, but they had to they couldn't sustain it unless they scored. And then obviously the the game gets turned on its head, and the, obviously they've they've evolved to be able to do that more over the course of ninety minutes. But that blitz in twenty minutes in the first twenty minutes is has still been there at times, and I think this would be the perfect time to, to put that on, on Villa and, you know, get up to a one or two goal lead after 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I just to finally give my closing thoughts. I think that away games favor us, and as we've seen, we have the third best away form in the league this season, but I think the reason that away games especially favor us is that maybe a draw against Sheffield United today was a really good result for us because this really puts the pressure on them for this game. They have to attack. Right, exactly. They have to score, and I'm sorry. When Aston Villa have to score, that means they're going to be very open. And when Aston Super Villa are very open against this Chelsea team, they're going to be ripped to shreds. It could it could easily be more than three if Villa choose to attack. Which if Villa choose to attack and come out of their shell, and they don't play this game cautiously, I see things getting very ugly for them very quickly. Right. Because we have all of our goal scorers back in full form, and I mean. Yes, QPR are our mid-table championship side, but, I mean, we absolutely rinsed them 7-1 on Sunday. And I just think that this kind of form that we're carrying in, it's not something to bat an eye to. It's definitely something to bat an eye to, and it's definitely something to be like, okay, we can't be idiots against this team. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but I just foresee a comfortable Chelsea win. Right. So the last game that we want to get to before, before we run out of time here is a game that... Neither of us are 100% keen to talk about just because neither of us are so crazy on Liverpool winning the Premier League, but ultimately a Merseyside derby is a Merseyside derby, and Liverpool are going to win this one, right? They always beat Everton. Not only do they always beat Everton, it's they always beat Everton when you need Everton to win. That's <laughs> that's the biggest thing. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, it's a Goodison, but the thing is... Goodison, at the end of the day, you need your fans. You need Goodison to be packed to the rafters to have a good chance. And ultimately, Liverpool have done well at Goodison for their entire history. There's there's never been really an issue of going to Goodison Park, even when it's like that. Remember that game that Everton almost stayed on Liverpool and then it hit the... the Origi had that shot. Well, that was, that that was at Anfield. Was it yeah. Right, so they're right. like the... Hits the crossbar. And it's that kind of it's that kind of juju. They that just Liverpool always have. beat Everton. Liverpool will not stop. Unfortunately, I foresee a two nil Liverpool win in this one. I think Carlo is building a really good side at Everton. Right. I think that there will be chances that for Richarlison and for Calvert Lewin, who I think have formed a really really good strike force. But will they take them in the big moments when there's like you know maybe going to be four chances for Everton max that game. One of them maybe being a half chance. Are they going to take them against the best center half in the world? One of the best goalkeepers in the world in Allison. Are they going right. to take them? Maybe in two years' time, yes. Right now, I don't foresee it happening. I think Liverpool will carry on their winning ways. Well, not winning ways because before the break, they had a bit of a slip-up. But I think they'll get back to winning ways, rather. And I think they'll win this one 2-0. I hate agreeing with you, but I do. And... uh 
we've got to get out of here, but before, let's get some some quick plugs in. So, again, this is the technical area. I, I'm Ben, this is Josh, and we're, we're super happy to be starting this series, this, this podcast series um, from The Hurry Up FC. You can follow, it, follow us on Instagram, at The Hurry Up FC. And then also our parent company, if, if that's the best way to say it. Our... Yeah, it's just the official hurry up. I mean, we're, we're friends with everyone around there. I mean, you know, so much good work is going on um, for all sports, whether you want football or soccer, that is, that of course, that's what we'll be calling it because we know that's the right name. Right, right. Um, right. But whether you want American football, uh, you want basketball, really there's, there's a ton of good articles on their website as well. It, it's just something that if... You know, you, the listener, have time. I would seriously consider checking out. A lot of hard work goes into it, and a lot of good people put their time towards it. So I, I would seriously um, check it out if you're a sports fan and just, just see what, you know, people are saying about certain sports topics. For sure. So we will be creating also a Twitter account for uh, the Hurry Up FC, whether that's just the podcast or the account itself. On thehurryup.com, you can also find articles that I've written. Um, I did a series um, called CL Hopefuls, ranking every team from Arsenal in ninth right now to Leicester in third. On their chances, I think, of making the Champions League, how they'll end up their player of the season. Uh, don't hate me too much if you if you don't agree. Um, but do let me know what you think. There, There's a comment feature on the, on the website. Um, Josh also has... has done some really good videos right um, I've been top four prediction the instagram um the instagram tv setting i've been finding is really fun to experiment with so right yeah i mean just a lot of good content is coming out right now so i w- we ben and i would really appreciate it if you would check it out for sure um last few plugs your twitter carefree banksy right carefree banksy of course have to rep Chelsea FC, my club since I was born, my my father's club, the biggest passion I have in my life. So of course it's my at has, has to have the word carefree in it. Um, ben, you want to plug your stuff? Honestly, I don't even know. <laughs> no. Uh, so my my Instagram is li sound li sound underscore. Um, I'm also the host of a hockey podcast, so feel free to check that out. Although. Not everyone is 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 a huge fan of hockey, so I understand if if soccer is is more for you or football, if it if it is offending to you if we refer to it as soccer, which we'll probably go back and forth. But either way, thank you so much for tuning in. I know it's been it's been decently long. We're we're having so much fun uh, starting this up, and and we want to continue it. And we'll we'll see you next week. Peace.